0: American airplane dropped one bomb
1: on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev tear down this the American people I think is good people. They are they have not to judge
0: with the Welcome to the Cold War episode two hundred and fifteen. Welcome Ray. How are you, Hooray. Ray? I'm great. How are you? I'm Mm -hmm. Uh, semi-caffeinated. Half of my my brain is working. The other half will come online later. That's all you need. um, Joining us today uh, to do most of the talking is a special (laughs) guest, Catherine Gregorio, author of The Double Life of Catherine Clark. Uh, the untold story of the American journalist who brought the truth about communism to the West, and I tell you, I've been waiting a long time for the truth about communism. I don't know about you, Ray, but uh, yeah, a while. yeah, a while. For my entire life I've been saying, "When are we going to get the truth about communism?" Well, that's what I've here, always wanted to know. Here it is. Here it is. Uh, now, not only did uh, Catherine write a book about uh, the other Catherine, uh, the other Catherine is her great. Aunt, so welcome mm. to the show, Catherine Gregorio. Um, found this a, a riveting story, a riveting book. Uh, congratulations Absolutely. on it. Uh, well, so just for people sitting at home, uh, the, the quick uh, uh, synopsis, I guess, here is that Catherine Clark, your great aunt, was a, a foreign correspondent. Uh, back in the early years of the Cold War. and While she was posted in Belgrade, of all places, in the mid-1950s, somehow managed to befriend Milovan Zilas, our old friend uh, from our Yugoslavia series that we did, Mm -hmm. was uh, quite high ranking in uh, Tito's government uh one of the originals uh, i think nice one of the president. original partisans yeah. yeah rose up and then by the early 50s had sort of um, toppled and uh uh you know had to was removed from all of his positions of power resigned from the communist party and was a was a a dissident for the rest of his life to varying degrees Uh, And it was your great aunt who helped him get his message out to the West. So let's, I guess, start with the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you came across this story of your great aunt's uh, life.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, So Catherine Clark was my great aunt. She's also my namesake. And growing up, I had the pleasure of my mother being a great storyteller, as well as the family historian. And I always selfishly paid attention to stories about Catherine because we had the same name. And there was always this one story about her smuggling out documents in her bra. And that was really all my mother knew. (laughs) And, you know, I didn't really pay much attention to it. Certainly didn't think I would grow up to write a book about it. But on a chance, Uh, interaction with somebody in the basement of Georgetown Library. I was doing research for my master's dissertation at the London School of Economics. So many things had to fall in place to get me into the basement of Georgetown. I saw a plaque and it turned out that my great uncle, who had never finished college because he and my great aunt got married. And back then in the 1930s, you couldn't be married and be in school, um, had gone back to Georgetown to finish his degree in his 70s and had left an archive of papers during their time in Belgrade, as well as in other countries in Eastern Europe. And I went digging, and I couldn't believe the story that I found. I was a history major in college, I got a master's degree in history, and I had never heard of Milovan Gilas. And the more that I learned, the more incredible the story was, and I just felt like I had to tell it.
0: Wow. <laughs>
2: and. Like
0: how much did your family know? Obviously you spoke to a lot of members of your family in putting this together. Were they all, oh, yeah, we've all heard those stories or were they all (laughs) as shocked as you were?
1: Right.
2: No, it was, was, you know, I think doing history is a little bit about being a detective. So I was able to interview both my mother and my uncle who had different levels of interaction with Catherine and her husband, Ed, uh, during their time. My mother was in Washington, DC when Catherine and her husband would come home to visit Her grandmother and mother. And then my uncle was actually stationed in Berlin during the period where um, Catherine and Ed are out of Berlin and went to many parties where there was a lot of drinking involved and heard lots of stories. Um, But even still, I think that it really wasn't until Catherine's death that all of it kind of came to the fore. And a lot Mm. of that was because the cold world Cold War was still going on when she died. She died in 1986 Mm. and she made it a commitment in her life never to really tell the story fully because she wanted to protect the Um, G-Losses. And so, it, you know, I think it was a story that was just waiting to be told and um, I was fortunate to have the chance to do so.
0: Mm. Yeah, It's the same situation with Ray. The true story of his life won't come out until after his death. He's actually...
1: (laughs) Not only pretty fast. Half, the best, half man,
0: half hamster, yeah. and right. uh, the truth will come out eventually. But I hide it. <laughs> yeah. So, how did Catherine end up in Belgrade as a as a journalist, as a foreign correspondent? It seems like a fairly extreme and unusual place to be in uh, the early 50s for a good American girl?
2: Yeah, to understand the story of how she got to Belgrade is really to kind of understand her story from the beginning. So as I mentioned, she and my great uncle dropped out of college. Um, Part of it was because they got married, but the reason they got married is she was pregnant. And she had wanted to be a reporter. And back then it was kind of unheard of for women to work outside the home, let alone at a newspaper, let alone not writing the society page. But she kind of kept at it from the 1930s. She helped my uncle tell stories. They ended up getting divorced in 1939. And she moved to Panama, where my great-grandfather and great-grandmother were. My great-grandfather was in the army. And he was really ahead of his time. He was uh, in charge of the anti-artillery aircraft and wanted his men to be connected through radio. And uh, a group of his men came up with the idea to do programming on the radio. And Catherine saw a chance to parlay some of the work she'd done on newspapers into radio. And then when the war broke out, most of the men went to Europe and there were more opportunities for women to work in journalism. And as they say, the rest is history. She went to Cincinnati, worked at three uh, different stations there. That caught the attention of somebody in Philadelphia. She ended up going to Berlin and was the first woman, American woman to broadcast out of Berlin, post-war Allied occupied Berlin. And Mm -hmm. then um, she reconnected with my great uncle, who had become a journalist during the war. He got severely injured, but wanted to stay over and joined up with Stars and Stripes and was um, in Rome and then went to Iran where they met up and they covered stories together there. And then she followed him with time to Belgrade. And that is how she ended up in Belgrade in
0: 1955. (sighs) What a great story. What a
1: life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh The one thing I liked about your book uh, was that it it reflects reality. Their lives are messy. Like you said, they dropped out of college. They had a kid. The child ends up spending a a decent amount of time with, I think, a grandparent or or whatever. And because they're, you know, they want to be reporters, they're very driven by this. And and because of the times and because of... uh, what was unfolding, they get to see a lot of things. And so, but I like the fact that her life and his life are messy, but despite it all, she's trying to do something very important, very profound. She's trying to help this man. We're going to get to to Agilash in a second, but um, she didn't want anybody to know about it. Once again, we're thanking a hero here who we wouldn't have known about it unless she left something in writing, I think in, uh, for her obituary or something near the end of her life. Is Correct. that right? And then she okay. had
2: saved... She had saved, you know, in the book, I have lots of letters. They had a diary. They had a whole set of um, notes from right. the trial and other things that they witnessed and experienced. And that, coupled with the newspaper coverage from that time by them and their colleagues, really just helped bring all of it to life um, right. in a way that I was very lucky to have Um not meticulous. not every historian has, you know, direct dialogue between Khrushchev and right. uh, American reporters, but it yeah. was covered across multiple news outlets at the time, which is well, pretty
1: well, spe- incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, she, she's she comes to Belgrade with her husband. and Of course, no one's expecting her to do anything because she's just a woman. They're all thinking this is him pushing these things, but she's able to win the trust of Gilas, right when he, or I guess right maybe after he starts losing the, um, the respect or the faith, the good faith of Tito. Could you kind of describe what he was going through, the the process that he was going through when he was examining communism in his own country? And of course, if you could bring her in, how she's able to get into his world and propose the idea of helping him get his thoughts out to the West.
2: Sure, absolutely. I'm, so Gilas. um, was one of the architects of Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. He met with Stalin on numerous occasions and really helped create the communist state of Yugoslavia. But then when the war ended, and I think in many of his interactions with Stalin, he just kept thinking. And as he kept thinking, he started seeing that there was a real disconnect between the yeah. promise of communism and the reality of communism. And what he ends up, you know, going on to write um, many books, but one of the first and certainly one of the ones that my great aunt helped smuggled out and and was a bestseller in his times, even a bestseller today, you know, three million right copies of a book is is very significant, Mm -hmm. basically argued for this new class, that communism created a new class, a new power dynamic, and it Mm -hmm. wasn't delivering on the promise of communism. And Mm -hmm. because he believed in his ideas and he wanted to make sure that people were having honest discourse about that because that had been part of the revolution that he'd been part of, he was continuing to raise that. But this new class didn't like that because it threatened their power. And so he was put on trial, he was put on probation as part of that trial. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: Catherine saw that as an opportunity to pursue a story. And then she ultimately crafted a friendship with him. And I think together they worked to get this really important idea, first to outlets and newspapers in the United States, and then eventually smuggling out his papers on two separate occasions. Um, And then she worked to bring those into manuscript form with publishers. And then they had much more wider distribution.
1: Right. We're, we're going to leave some of the drama, the James Bond stuff, if you will, uh, for the readers. But there are many times I'm thinking, oh, how is this? How is she possibly going to get out of this? But obviously she does. But I, I, I just find it interesting. She sees this man who's having this internal struggle and he's like, well, why did we have the revolution? Why did we fight back? Because, you know, like you said, the reality and the promises aren't matching up. And so his idea is to keep having an open dialogue Which is not exactly what not exactly wise when you have one man who's in charge of the entire state and you you keep crossing the line. There's going to be some some blowback for that. And that's what he's figuring out. And that's what she's witnessing as well.
2: That's right. And I will say, you know, I spent a lot of time immersing myself into her notes and her diaries. I don't mm. think she started off seeing much more than a story. Right. And she was at a point where she, it was, you know, write or die. She was a stringer. She was constantly <laughs> yes. looking for something. And then it turned into kind of the mission of her lifetime um, mm-hmm. or the story of her lifetime. I mean, I think she really believed in what he had to say. And, you know, when I describe my book, I say that it really explores the question of how how far you're willing to go for the truth for an idea. Right. Because both for Gilas, who sacrificed so much, he went to prison for what he wrote on numerous occasions. Right. And for her, I mean, she could have been arrested, potentially even killed for mm-hmm. what she did in getting the papers out to the West. I mean, they both felt that it was important enough to take the actions that they did. Right. And we're lucky that they were successful. But mm-hmm. I think it's it's hard sometimes to remember what, what life felt like Back then, during the Cold War, although I think we're getting a little glimpse of it with with what's going on um, with the right. tragedy in Ukraine right now,
1: you're not absolutely. Cam, if I could just ask one more cam, uh, question, Cam, before you jump in. Now, you you just talked about him being disillusioned with Tito and what should have happened to their state. Could you compare that to? I'm not sure if disillusion is the correct word, but if could you compare that with his meetings with Stalin? And right away, it seems like he's thinking, something's not right here. Something's not jiving. I really don't think this is going to work out. And maybe Yugoslavia should try to develop a system on its own. So he gets disillusioned with these two very powerful men. But like you said, he's not afraid. He wants to write about it. He wants to talk about it.
2: Yes, I think you could. I mean, he wrote, as I said, I think over a dozen books. All of them Mm -hmm. are fascinating. He's a beautiful writer, helps really bring it to life. Uh, Of all the books I read, and I read every single one of them, the one that I found most fascinating was Conversations with Stalin because Uh, he talks about the three different interactions he had with Stalin, the first of which happened before Yugoslavia split with the Soviet Union. mm -hmm. And it, you know, gave him a sense of the fact that for Yugoslavia to do what it wanted to do, they needed to go on their own. Mm -hmm. And if you think about what they did, they were the only country to do that successfully. And then I think the the subsequent meetings um, just kind of, you know, reinforced a lot of the observations he he saw with Tito. Um, Tito was no Stalin. If he had been, I don't think Gilas would have survived. Um, You know, Tito did put him in prison instead of killing him. If you really look at the foreign correspondent commentary, a large part of why Catherine kept telling his story, though, was Mm -hmm. she felt that keeping him alive in the Western press was uh, security for him and his life. And so um there's there's lots of similarities, but I I I wouldn't go so far as to compare Tito hundred percent right. to Stalin, because I think Stalin was on another level. Yeah.
1: And I thought it was really interesting because she writes in her letters, because she's writing to publishers, she's trying to get this stuff out there, she's trying to get the material, she helps him trans the whole bit. She's she's in with him. In fact, I think she's sitting there you know, working with him while her husband and his wife are in the kitchen playing cards with the radio turned up so the eavesdroppers can't hear them. So she's involved in this, but she also has to fight the powers that be back home. And you're right, she kept saying we have to keep his name in the press because if he's allowed to fade away, the, the authorities might use that as an, uh, as an opportunity just to get rid of a problem, which is Gelash. But she does, she's able to keep the momentum going, if you will.
2: Absolutely.
0: Oh, yeah, like a, a couple of just anecdotes that I really mm-hmm. liked. Uh, like when she first met Gilas and was starting to build a relationship with him and his wife, uh, but Gilas initially started working with her husband, much to her <laughs> disgust. And it's this great story where. She looked at uh, the 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 original documents that Gilas had written and said to her husband, "Oh, you need to edit those before you send them off to the paper." And he was like, "Nah, it'll be fine." And then they got rejected, so she basically had to rescue the the whole relationship and rescue the project. I like that. All of this, uh, the the tension that you capture in the book, you you got this out of her diaries, I assume. She was uh, reflecting these sort of tensions between her and Ed uh, during this period?
2: Yes. In fact, Ed wrote that part and admitted that he had been wrong
0: Mm, um, but was
2: very honest with how things had transpired. And the reason why he didn't want to take the time is because, Gilas didn't write in English. And so he had to first find somebody who he could trust to translate the articles from Serbian to English. And much like most translations, they're not perfect. And to smooth Mm. them, to make them into a, an article that Time Life would, would run would have taken an inordinate amount of work. He was a foreign correspondent covering vast region mm-hmm. and he just felt that this wasn't a priority and he wasn't getting paid for it so i'm not making excuses for him but that was was the context um he just didn't believe in the story the way that Catherine did and it fell into his lap because gilas initially really wanted to go after a story with life um, right. the problem is is the editor of life had worked with one of Gilast's friends, Dettinger, who had written an autobiography that had been very painful for that editor to go through. he had literally said that he had to get every word, um, word for word. And it was over a 400 page autobiography. And I don't think the editor at Life wanted to repeat that experience. In fact, he said that. And so yeah, that was a large part of why he rejected um, the articles. But work. as Catherine was going through them, she saw, she saw the, 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 the gems of what Gilas had to say, and yeah. it, it gave her even more um, desire to work with him. And so she really had that perseverance to just kind of continue at it, even though she had initially been passed over uh, because she wasn't the reporter for Time Life.
0: Right. So I guess the, the, big, the big question in my mind whilst reading the book is why Catherine would put herself and her husband at risk to do this. What do you think was her motivation to, to take these chances in a country like Tito's Yugoslavia, particularly in the early years? You know, later later in life, he sort of became became the grand statesman of Eastern European communism, and was friends with Maggie Thatcher and everybody. But um, during this period, it was it was still finding its feet. It was obviously uh, there were there were extreme restrictions on what you could and couldn't say, particularly about communism and particularly about Stalin and the Soviet Union and those sorts of things. It was a very delicate. Uh, dance that Tito was trying to do with Stalin because obviously Tito was no great fan of Stalin's either and vice versa those two guys mm. <laughs> Right. what well, is it the great story whereas uh, Tito um, sent Stalin a letter saying uh, you know we caught your latest assassin <laughs> uh, if you if you send another one, uh, basically, I'll get you first, or something yeah, like that. I'll send, I can
1: not I I need to send one. I I'll only need send, to send
0: one. one. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. So they. I mean, and so it was a very delicate uh, situation. You know, before Stalin's death in '53, these guys are, you know, doing this dance, and you know, they're sort of flopping their manhoods on the table to see who's as biggest, and it's a there's a power play going on between them, and and Jilas. In a way, I think it's caught up in the middle of that. Um, but because, I, I, you know, I think Tito probably agreed with a lot of what Gilas had to say, but didn't didn't think it was the right time to be saying it uh, publicly. Anyway, back to Catherine Clark. So why do you think she put herself and her husband at risk to, to pursue this mission?
2: I think there are two reasons, and it's informed by my conversations with my relatives who knew her way better than I do. But Catherine, at her core, was just really driven by truth and integrity. A lot of this came from her upbringing uh, in a military family. And a lot of this was just her personality. Um, she really was almost like a Missouri mule, who once she kind of got <laughs> her teeth into something, just saw it through until its end. And I think Gilos right. became a cause for her and what he had to say. And I think the second piece really is she didn't think through the consequences too dramatically. Um, And, you know, I I don't have proof to that, but I think had she, she may not have gone down the road that she did. But I think her commitment to the truth, her desire to get this really important set of ideas out to the world just kind of consumed her and she was willing to do whatever it took uh, to get them to the West. Because at, at this time, you know, you couldn't even get things past sensors. And so she right. would have to give them to diplomats who were traveling outside of Yugoslavia who could then send them from there. And so she had to be really creative about who she could use to get things out. And, um, you know, on one of one of the occasions when they moved, she was very fortunate um, to be able to hide things. On a second right. occasion, she came very close to being caught. And, you know, again, we're lucky yeah. that everything ended up. But I think it really goes back to kind of who she was as a person, which was very much disinformed by how she was raised.
0: I got the impression from reading the book, too, that she seemed to be quite ambitious as a, as a woman, as a journalist, trying to, you know, fighting a, what was basically a, a boys club um uh, she she saw this uh, as an opportunity to really make her make her name as a foreign correspondent of of gravitas. Did that work out for her? Did she develop a, a reputation as a result of this as a career move? How did it work out for her?
2: I don't think it really worked out for her because in the end she decided not to capitalize on it i think had she capitalized on it perhaps Mm. it could have worked out for her but given that gilas decided to stay in yugoslavia with his family she really made a decision that she wanted to protect them because they were still living in that environment um she went on to have a very successful career But I would argue that it could have been more successful had she kind of really told the truth about the story. I mean, she went even so far. One of the publishers had leaked that the book had been smuggled out of the country. And she was very upset about that, not only for Gilas and his family, but also for her career. She wanted to stay behind the Iron Curtain reporting. And so fortunately, she was able to kind of write herself out of history in a way with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also given kind of the misogynist environment that was Mm. the newsroom, um, even when the secret police of all the countries, you know, ended up talking to each other and and sharing that they thought that the Clarks had been involved, no one could believe it had been her. They thought Mm. it was her husband. And so he Mm. was the one who suffered um, when they, you know, they moved to Asia, they came back to to um, Poland and he was not able to get the proper credentials to go be a reporter. And so ultimately mm. they then you know, decided to leave the region.
1: Mm. Well, well that, that's a part of it, though. She she's uh, she can't get the jobs that she wants because she's a woman. But at the same time, they're assuming she can't she couldn't possibly be able to do this because she's a woman, so she's able to use that to her advantage, even though I get it, it was very frustrating and it was very scary at times because there's a, you know, I don't know how many times in the in the book, you know, there's guns around these people, they're being followed, and, and there's cameras and surveillance, and it was very intimidating. Of course, that was the point. I did want to get your opinion on, so when the new class comes out in 1957, where it's Gilash, you know, he's examining the communist system, or at least the parts that he's witnessed, I imagine that Western governments, maybe the CIA or whatever, they probably pounced on this kind of thing going, see, see, here's an insider telling you it is a flawed system. That's a little that's taking it a little far. But I imagine this got used in the propaganda circles as well.
2: It did. I was able to verify about 15000 copies were used in the CIA book program. Prager, who was the original publisher of The New Class, was Mm -hmm. um, a partner with the CIA. But The New Class sold over 3 million copies, and it was not created by the CIA by any stretch of imagination. Much like other books, it was just used as part of their propaganda. Um,
1: They took advantage of it.
2: Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay, I know you got to go, Catherine. But um, final question: um, When's the Netflix series come out? On this? <laughs> um, Do you need any help? Do you need a driver? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and who who are you going to cast as uh, your great aunt for the Netflix series?
2: Uh, I would love a Netflix series. Um, you know, I think Catherine was a really strong woman and very complex. Um, she had to navigate many different issues throughout her career. Right. And one of the actresses that I think could do a really good job capturing both her spirit as well as happens to look like her is
1: Laura Dern. Oh, oh I love good Laura point. Dern. Good. Whoa, That's a good, that yeah. would be good. We yeah. agree. We concur. Um, j- just real quick, because again, I know you got to go. So please, because uh, the there's a lot of drama, there's a lot of uh, scary moments in this book. I absolutely loved it. I have four daughters and they will certainly be getting copies for me as a a role model of how to be strong and focus on your duty. But do, do things end well for the two couples, for the two reporters and for the former vice president and his wife? In the end, after all of the drama, is there a happy ending for these four people?
2: There is. I cover part of that in my book. In 1968, right. when Gilas is given permission to travel to the United States, they're able to spend some time together and right. they end up having a friendship that continues up until Catherine's death in 1986. Wow. Ed and Steffi and Milavan uh, are on the earth for longer and all three of them live long enough to see the end of the Cold War But I think that towards the end of their life, they were able to travel and visit one another. Um, The GLSs were able to come to the U.S. once, and then Catherine and Ed went to Yugoslavia on multiple occasions. And Mm -hmm. one of the most beautiful things that's come out of writing this book is actually I connected with Alexa, their son, um, and... Uh, soon, hopefully, um, my family will right. be traveling to Belgrade to meet him and his family. He still lives in the apartment that he grew up in, and he has many fond memories of Catherine and Ed. Um, and so it's just been really wonderful to hear his impressions and experiences from that time. He remembers many of the toys that Ed gave him, right. the cat that I reference, and yeah. I think I was able to share with him... Uh, part of the story that he didn't know. And he shared with me some photographs that he had from visits. And so it's just been a a really wonderful, unexpected surprise from writing the book.
0: Nice. Well, that's great. Congratulations on the book. And I hope you have um, other relatives with great stories that you'll be able to tell <laughs> us uh, next time, the next book, Kathy. It
1: was a great read, absolute great read.
0: And, like, and I, you know, we, we, Ray and I do a lot of history shows from various periods of history, and one of the things that we always have to remind ourselves is that women aren't fairly covered in any of these stories. The contributions of women throughout history, up until very recent times, obviously, gets lost because it's uh, men that tend to dominate the, the history books. So I always love it when we get to hear stories from a uh, perspective of a, of a woman who um, was, you know, making a difference and, uh, you know, turning the wheels of history behind the scenes. It's always fantastic yeah. to see another one of those. So well done. A Thank silent you. hero. Yes.
1: Indeed. Yeah.
0: So yeah. the Thank book... You. The double life of Catherine Clark, the untold story of the American journalist who brought the truth about communism to the West. Catherine Gregorio, thank you for the book and uh, for chatting with us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: An iron curtain has descended across the continent.